So my name is Isabella and today's Intern Whisperer Tip of the Week is Gender identity is a very important part of inclusion. Transgender people, for example, may experience more visible changes and therefore suffer more stigma than homosexuals. So today we are talking with Dr. J.J. Walcott. This is somebody I've been waiting to have on the show for such a long time. I am a big fan of her. She just doesn't really even know that. She helped us with our E4C study last year, and I'm just so thrilled to have you here today. I am thrilled to be here. Okay. So what we typically do is we start off with asking our guests, what are five words that describe you and why those five words? And so you and I practice this and pretty sure you're going to know the first one, Taurus. Why? (laughs) Nobody's led with a Zodiac sign. So this is interesting. I think it's always fun to do so, isn't it? Uh, especially yeah, it when, when, when the sign definitely says something about you, right? I, I am definitely a strong, strong human that, uh, that, that presses forward and, and keeps on going no matter what. So I, I think Taurus fits me and it's, it's always a little fun to lead with that, especially as a scientist. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think so. I think so. Um, your second word is a mom. I know that is not near and dear to your heart. You are a very committed mom to your kids and helping them to be independent. I'm taking some of these. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's interesting for, for women our age, the, I never intended to have a job. I, you know, I, I grew up believing that I was going to be a mom and I was going to stay home. And, and, and only through circumstance did it end up the case that, um, I, I literally accidentally got a PhD and thought, well, I could do something with that. <laughs> and, and now here we are all these years later. Uh, and, and I love it. I love working. I love uh, the, the work that uh, the people that I get to work with and the projects that we get to focus on. Uh, so, so it's, it's, it's really a lot of fun, but helping your kids move through that transition. I've been a stay at home mom. I've been a working mom. I've been a single mom. I've, <laughs> I've done, done every uh, element of it. But now that they're getting to adulthood and and going out and figuring out their own jobs, it's definitely uh, both a lot of fun and decidedly challenging. So I think uh, we should start putting mom on our on our resumes, but I don't know that the world is ready for that quite yet, but I sure hope we're getting close. I'm pretty sure you've seen this where they said this is how much a mom should make. And they broke down all of the job roles that a mother fulfills. And we would be like millionaires if that was the case, because, you know, event planner, you, you, you know, you're a cook, you're a maid, you're a chauffeur, you're like the list goes on. Right. You know, tutor. Yeah. I actually went to school for time off. <laughs> I would go one day a week to school because I thought I need to use my brain a little bit. I need a, a little bit of, you know, separation. And, and over time it added up because in fact, I'm, I'm actually good at none of the things you just listed. Um, but, but parenting, I do. Okay. But all the, the, the housekeeping is not so much my skill set. Yeah, well, we can't all have all of those skills. <laughs> You know, that's part of it. Your third word was innovator. Yeah, I, you know, I'd like to say, well, we, we often say that this word is overused and that's probably a fair statement, but there's a purpose to it, right? It is not uh, just invention. We're not creating something new, but it's it's almost the repurposing of those things that could be better utilized. And so that is something that I consider to be one of my specialties and something I really enjoy doing. Almost every design project that I walk into, the very first thing I ask is, what do you already have? And I am amazed at how frequently we find that people have or businesses have way more available to them than they realize. What struck me and and may be interesting to to Americans is that when I did this for the government, 
I found that we had way more <laughs> beneficial material than was actually getting to the American people. So that was a really telling and an interesting find. We're, we're so quick to go in and create something new and not first think about what do we already have. So I, I hold that that title um, and I, I think it's important to, to use it properly as much as we can and not not just think of it as being overused. <laughs> yeah, I I totally agree with you. I look at how people sit here and go, I want to start a nonprofit and they start a nonprofit, but they've done no research to see, oh, how many are actually helping homeless? How many are helping women? And you know what that ends up happening? I know you get it is it makes it so there's less dollars to go around um, because you're having to ask for either grants, whatever, but there's plenty of really big organizations there and nonprofits are harder to keep the doors open than a for-profit business. So I, I really wish in that space of what you're describing innovation, um, people would sit here and say, so they're doing this, what are they not doing? And how could, or how could we make this better if it's working this way? I don't think people think that way. Mm -mm. No, no, I would say it's definitely one of the number one uh, elements of design and something we miss just tremendously. We're so excited about our brand new idea yeah. that we really want to push it. And we don't take the time to think about what's already available and who's already created something. Mm -hmm. uh, chances are someone somewhere has done something already, at least starting what it is that you're trying to achieve. So figure out what that is, find the whole and then add to it. Yeah. Yeah. In addition to one of my other friends said it that way, in addition to what you're always thinking is, oh yeah, this is here. But in addition to you said visionary, I think you are. Yeah. I would definitely describe you that way. Yeah. It's, um, it's funny. My mom loves to tell the story about when I was seven years old and our, our task was to, to find a country in the world and talk about how we were going to improve it in some way. Uh, I failed to do my homework. So instead I sat in the back of the class and listened to what everyone else's ideas were, <laughs> grabbed the globe, went in front of the class and said, all right, let's talk about how we're going to put all these ideas together to create a, a new global plan. <laughs> <laughs> so very funny that uh, fast forward uh, nearly 40 years and I'm still doing kind of that same thing. I, I listen to what a lot of people have to say, but it's bringing it together and putting that plan with it that ends up being the actionable uh, set of steps that actually uh, results in outcomes. But you have to be able to see how those pieces come together. A lot of us will see the pieces parts, but we won't actually see how it creates a full picture of that puzzle. Mm -hmm. That is my particular skill. And when you have that and you have folks who are really good at creating the tasks lists and the, the tactical actions, when I work with people like that, we have the vision, we have the solution, and then we have a way to roll it out. And that becomes very effective. Oh, yes. Yes, I agree. Mentor. Why? Why mentor? Well, because I think at some point we all have to figure out what is it that makes us tick and, and what is it that we add back to the world. And so I often say it doesn't matter how many minutes you spend on this earth. It matters how many people you inspire. Uh, I my third child passed away uh, at birth. And, you know, it's a it's a tough thing to realize, understand and then figure out what in the world are you going to do with that? This is a life that didn't happen. And at the same time. She inspires me all the time, right? I think if I have the opportunity to live on this earth, what is it that I want to do? And, and where do I want to go? And, and how do I almost live for two? Mentoring others to think beyond themselves, to be released from the rules that we believe we all have uh, to live by allows them to think and, and be the person they were always intended to be, not the person that society decided for them. And so when I mentor, that is always my focus is, you know, life is precious and we think we have all these rules and expectations, but what if for a moment they were gone? What if you were just thrilled to be here? Where would you go? What would you do? Uh, and I think this is where people would say to me, 
well, you can't run for president. And I say, well, for, to a six-year-old, you tell them, great, go become president. We need a great president. But to a, a 46-year-old, we say, well, you must be crazy if you ever want to do that. I said, no, you just go do these things. And if I can do that, then anyone can do anything. You just have to decide what it is you want to do and then go after it. Um, but I think a lot of people need, they need to hear it and they need to see that you don't just say it, but that you go and do it. And when they see that, I think a lot of people become inspired to go do it themselves. Oh, I totally agree with that. So very, very true. So doing a little research on you, I also found that you were the former director of innovation. This leads very nicely into some of what you were sharing for the Advanced Distributed Learning Initiative under the Office of the Secretary of Defense. So what does that division do? I have never heard of it, but, you know, it sounds intriguing to me. Is amazing. Uh, certainly one of the things I found in government was there's a whole heck of a lot happening that almost none of us ever know about. Uh, and and I'm, I'm thrilled that good stuff is happening. I wish more information got to the American people because we do all wonder where in the world do our dollars go? What are we, what are we buying and what are we getting for it? So it's really interesting to go into government and have the opportunity to, to understand that. Little, little side fact, we found 179 innovation groups inside of government. And a lot of folks don't realize, but the US government has funded 60% of the innovation in the United States since our inception. It has a huge impact on our ability to take risk, to press forward for national security, for other solutions such as healthcare or um, for workforce development in, in many, many ways. So being the director of innovation of a group focused on learning, what we're really looking at is modernizing the learning enterprise for our security sectors, Department of Defense, and across the whole government. So what does that really mean? What that really means is looking at how do people learn? In other words, how does the brain actually take in information? How do we maximize your capacity to do that? And then how do we do that as quickly as possible? Because of course, in defense, uh, take Air Force, for example, it's not enough to just be able to fly an airplane. You have to be able to fly an airplane with a team of people and you have to fight against an adversary that is coming at you both visually, but also in a variety of other ways from electronic warfare to cyber issues to now we have unlimited space capacity. There is so much happening that we have to be able to look at the brains of our military personnel and think about what are the best ways to train them so that they're ready for that next fight? That information then can translate to K-12. It translates to higher ed. It translates across government for workforce development. Uh, but a lot of the press initially is for national security purposes. Mm. That is that is very, very interesting. Uh, I don't think that people see the connection between all of those, the government and the corporate side, and even on the education sector. We'll put all of those together. And, and I feel like most people, they, they don't think big. They think about how it's impacting them personally, like, sure. you know, and that's normal. There's nothing wrong with that. But they don't think just like what you said, well, where are all of these dollars going and what is it doing? And it's a giant web of supply chain, you know, as to what's really happening there. A big chessboard of, you know, pieces being moved around to produce something for a country. Did you ever yeah. see like Men in Black? Yeah, of course. <laughs> Okay. That's usually a film I always reference when I'm talking, but I always sit here and I think about Will Smith sitting on the bench with Tommy Lee and he sits here and he goes, just think people are like dumb, stupid creatures. But if they knew today, if they knew today, what was going to happen tomorrow, I'm paraphrasing obviously, but I just sit here and I go, that is so true. We have no concept as to what is really going on in the world. And I think that's one of the things that I like about you so much is that you really push that envelope. So like, have you thought about this? And it makes it so that it feels like it's in your backyard. Very relatable. Yeah. 
<laughs> we, well, I, I'm just a human like everyone else, right? We're, we're just curious beings. And, yeah. and, and, you know, much like my story of being seven years old, it's, it's not me inventing all these ideas. What I, what I love to do is hear from other people and bring that information together because that, I mean, that is the thing that makes this country so amazing, right? Our diversity of thought, experience, background, capabilities, interests, drive, when you put all of that together, you have the opportunity to pick the best answer across all of these differences, but then you get something extra. When we're able to work together, you capitalize on the improvement of that best idea by everyone um, putting in their additional two cents to improve it, right? It, we refer to that as the gestalt, right? Yes. The, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Uh, where we, of course, break down is when we're focused on our neighbor as our enemy. And I would say, your neighbor is not your enemy. <laughs> we are, our disagreements are wonderful mm -hmm. as long as they're aiming towards solution. Mm, I totally agree. Um, okay. Where'd you go to college? How'd you get to where you are now? How, and when we get to the, your company, I really want to know the story of why that name. Okay. So where'd sure. you go to college first? <laughs> well, I did my undergrad at Colgate university, uh, went there because I grew up in Florida. I went to a very big public high school. And so my goal was to go to a place that was as different as I could find from, uh, where I started. Needless to say, because I wore long underwear from August to May, I returned to Florida quite quickly. <laughs> I was very glad I did it for college because I did not want to stay in that cold. I love the snow, but a month is about the maximum overrated. I want to handle it. <laughs> it is overrated. It is great to visit. Do not want to live in it. Absolutely. And I, I, my friends that live in the North, um, you know, they always say, but we don't love the summers in Florida. I said, absolutely. But my car, it doesn't have to be scraped and uh, <laughs> it always runs and I don't have to uh, shovel snow. So I'll, I'll take the heat for the three months instead of the, uh, the snow. My uh, graduate work was at both UCF and FSU. Uh, and I studied both clinical and developmental psychology. So I like to say that I, I was formally trained in when things go wrong and how to develop better solutions <laughs> uh, for people. But I also do a fair amount of research in, in neuroscience. And so then what we do is we look at how the, the body and the, and the person develops, both socially and emotionally, what happens to the brain when we have uh, struggles and, and mental health issues but then also how do we maximize and optimize the usefulness of the brain from a learning perspective? So across three major areas of psychology is, is my primary focus um, from a formal education perspective. And now I've lost, what was the other question? <laughs> well, then you started, well, you went from college and you obviously worked over there in the government sector. What are the different touch points that you've had in your work career to get you to where you are now? Sure. So um, I started out as as a lab director and and I, I, I really am just a nerdy lab scientist. I like to be in my my little space uh, studying people in a variety of different ways. Sometimes it was uh, social and emotional development of deaf children. It's a fascinating area looking at language and and differences in culture, uh, learning and perception of, of individuals with differences and then segueing into the military space and education space. How do we use technology to enhance uh, people's abilities to learn. We were some of the first groups looking at gaming, although we were banned from using that word initially. And I'm sure that would be shocking to people now because we, we so frequently think of game-based learning, but in the beginning, it was absolutely taboo. And I can remember sitting with a, a large group of much more famous than me scientists. And we were just trying to come up with new words that didn't call it gaming because if learning was fun, then clearly we weren't learning. And that was a, that was a huge hurdle sad. in there. It is sad. Um, but you have to remember from the 1950s, what our goal for education was, was an assembly line of developing humans who could go into assembly line work. And now we're in a space where we, we want creativity and we want new ideas and we want you to think outside the box and we want to capitalize on your individual capabilities. 
We didn't want individuals back then. So you're seeing an entire evolution, not just of how society is changing and embracing differences, but also how businesses are demanding access to those differences and how the school systems have to then follow suit to develop and support uh, our, our young people to have and capitalize and showcase even those creative differences in each of us. Where it continues, which is not something that we thought about as much previously, is we now expect that the young people today will have three to six careers, mm-hmm. not different jobs, careers, And so their need to continuously learn, in other words, lifelong learning is going to be a requirement. And so now uh, one of the things that we were commissioned to do in the government was look from birth to 75. How do we create an entire learning ecosystem for that age range, not just five to, to 18? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cradle to grave is how I hear that described. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's the best term, but, but yes, often used. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, you've said some interesting points there and you do, you know, you nail it on the head. So we've gone from this machine industry type of mentality of education, everything we do, whether it was McDonald's or if it's selling houses, whatever, it all has to scale. But now we are, we value those things that are truly the cognitive skills used to be called soft skills. I have embraced the movement to call them power skills myself, because I see it as a way that we do differentiate. It's not soft as in mushy, but soft as in, you know, powers, what gives us our, our ability to differentiate. So when you're talking about that, now the movement has all gone into individual learning, on-demand learning, things, continuous learning, always. And it's not exclusive to just young people, because we know that people in their, if you've graduated, you're still going to be going back to school. And I think about the things that you've described. I've been you know, a public classroom teacher, higher ed teacher, they're the same, still education. I've gone into nonprofit management, love that. And then I've gone into this whole entrepreneur, but I decided (laughs) foolishly, let me go and create games. Let me create videos. Let me go over here and start a podcast. And so there's all of these interests as a person that they have. It's better to get good at one thing (laughs) is what I've learned now than try to be juggling I don't know, seven balls at the same time and and get good at all of those at the same time. Very hard to do. That said, if you're going to have anywhere, you said three to six, right? Career paths. That means that technically you would probably spend about five to seven years, if it's three, where you're trying it on, deciding, okay, I've learned what I'm supposed to learn. Now I want to go try this essentially, right? That's what you're saying? Yeah. I don't know if it's going to be that long though. I mean, so, so take me for example. So I, I have done research for decades at this point, right? Mm -hmm. If I wanted to go become a lawyer, do I need five to seven years to, to understand legal research? Probably not. No, because I already have. So even even though I don't have formal training in in legal studies, I have so much formal training and experience in reading people in how to do research, how to write without emotions in it. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Very important in in legal writing that you're able to put together all of these points, but do so without bringing your personal emotions into, which is hard in a variety of spaces, Um, how to speak. And, and make a point, argue that point, defend that point, uh, how to understand policies and rules and laws, all of these things, these, these fundamental skills that would take me into law, I have developed them, granted, in a related area, not exactly, but the point is the difference, the delta between what I do in psychology research and what I could do in legal research is quite small in many ways. And so I probably, in a year, if I had targeted training, could get not only up to snuff in order to be a lawyer, but I would bring to the table all my expertise from psychology as well. 
And so here's when we start to capitalize on what I call meta-SMEs, right? Subject matter experts in two areas who now have the ability to bring both to the table. You see this sometimes in MD, PhD programs mm-hmm. or in um, JD, uh, MD programs, right? Where you're a doctor and you're, you have your doctorate in both medicine and law, your ability to fight cases that cover these content areas is, is substantially enhanced. Because people will start doing these these jobs um, and and segueing between them, we're going to have to train them differently. We don't start them from scratch. A great example in the military that we've run into is uh, we developed the F-35 platform, uh, one of our highest ends, if not our highest end, um, air, aircraft that, that we fly. We had to bring in pilots from other airframes in order to fly that. We didn't start everybody from scratch learning the delta between those. If you're already a pilot, how much training do you need to become a pilot of a different airframe? It's a hot question that they ask because the cost in training somebody is high. The time is high. The resource, the human resource cost is high. Same thing in business. How do I figure out what you already know and what I need you to know for this job or this new area of focus? These are gonna be some of the hot questions that we see in adult learning going forward. What is the formula? What is the time? How do we measure what you know? How do we measure what you need to know? How do we train you in the middle and do that much faster than sending you for a whole new degree? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Degrees. I feel like education, the, what it's going to look like is very different. It's going to be for PhDs, people in education, MDs, doctors, very technical expertise is going to be required. Everything else, certificates, get it done in two years or less. Sure. So I think the difference is going to be uh, the type of, of task that you have to do, right? So if it's something where it's a repetitive task or it is a process, so a procedure, then yeah, absolutely. It's it's memorize it and, and be able to, to repeat it over and over again, right? Uh, but if it's the case that you're going to have to bring in creativity, right? So our surgeons, for example, no case is gonna be exactly the same. So they have to exercise a fair amount of decision-making. That comes with a different type of learning than what we ask for what we call declarative, so memorization of information, or procedural, something that you do as a process uh, and those task-based elements. Those two can be certainly in the certificate range. When you get into the higher order spaces of decision-making, uh, take your, take your baseball player, right? Um, that, that may not be a higher ed teaching, but it is certainly a, a decision-making physical, social, emotional training space. That is not just procedure. Those guys who just know how to hit the ball and run are not making the major league, right? These are people who have something special. They can read, uh, how that pitch is coming to them faster. They can react to it differently. They can interact with their teammates at a, at a higher level. It doesn't matter if we're talking sports, law, or medicine, or, or defense. These concepts are all the same uh, from a brain perspective. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. So cognitive learning, we, we've moved into this other area here. Oh, wait, I didn't ask this question. How did your company get named Clay Strategic? What is the story on that one? Because I went, that is what? Well, it's kind of funny given lines is what I'm thinking. I don't know. Oh, well, so it, it, what's what's funny is that we, we, we almost hit on it earlier, which was you could have a great idea for even a name of a company and then you find that everybody's already used it. So, so, that, so first we started with, you know, 15 choices of which all were taken. Uh, so that then led to, okay, so really what are we trying to say with the business name, right? And what we're trying to say is we're starting with raw clay. If a business comes to me or the government comes to me or, or a person comes to me and says, I have all of this stuff, but I don't know quite what to do with it or how to organize it or how to make it so that we move forward in a more efficient, effective way. And that really is the intent. How do we take the raw clay, design it and make a strategy that's executable? That makes sense. Yeah. And so molding it. Yes. I love that. I I love that idea. And plus clay is just fun to play with. And you have this just childlike, you know, whimsical approach to things, but I know you're like, I mean, business too. There's two sides to you there. 
Right. <laughs> well, my, my whole house is whimsical, right? It is a whiteboard. Uh, my walls are white and they're painted with whiteboard to paint. So you can paint, draw all over them and have your big ideas. We have uh, the, the sidewalk chalk and the clay and the um, markers galore and, and brown paper that covers everything in the house. Uh, so this, uh, we have sewing space. We have painting space. <laughs> this is uh, we, behind you. I'm sorry. The wall is, it looks green behind you. It's a, it's a turquoise color. Okay. Um, but yes, it's, it's very much uh, the case. And I've got um Well, it's not uh, white because you had said, not, oh, this one's not, no, this is an accent wall. You're right. Got it. So that's <laughs> they say all the walls in the house are white. You're correct. I definitely want to see your house. I definitely want to do that. If we go, if we go on the other side of this wall, we have a 16 by 20 foot wall of, of whiteboard and it is covered from ceiling to floor in, uh, in creative drawings and, and ideas, solutions, designs for, for all kinds I of businesses. Love that. I'm going to steal that idea and use it when I build my <laughs> own house. I think it's very, very, it's, it's so fun. And you could definitely use that as an activity to bring your guests together and just say, okay, let's play this. Or That's my hope. I hope that we get to start bringing big minds in here and, uh, and, uh, you know, open a glass of wine and have some, some good ideas flowing. That's, that's when you have a lot of fun, right? Is when you start to connect work to your long-term visions and ideas, but when you get to do it with people who, uh, I'd like to say think like you, maybe in a process way, but don't think like you in, yeah. in specifics, because that's when we really get those good ideas flowing. That's when it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I, yes, totally agree with you there too. So cognitive learning, how is it different? I know we talked about it a little bit at the beginning in the military versus how we think about it in the corporate world. Um, I've been running in that space of some of the military events. I've been going to quite a few of them with ITSEC and, um, you know, serious play conference, a lot of places where we run into each other. And there is a very, very much of a difference between them, but yet they still want the same outcomes. I mean, at the end of the day, the brain is still the same, right? So, so that how we take information, how we process it, and then what we do with it is, is going to be very similar. I think one of the major differences is that uh, for military, I mean, very literally people's lives are on the line. Mm -hmm. So the amount of stress that they are um, encountering in theater, uh, for those not familiar with the term, that means when they're in operation, operational settings uh, overseas. So what we have to look at is, you know, how the brain is going to function under extreme stress, how it is going to make life and death decisions under those situations, how it is going to deal with extreme ambiguity. Uh, you have no idea what's going to come at you and you have to be ready for anything every time. Uh, and, and then how you look at teamwork and, and flow and how to take in information quickly and when to make a decision. You know, I often say, if you, if you run too quickly without thought, you die. And if you stay and think too long and have analysis paralysis, you also die. Where's the sweet spot? Right. And so we talk in the military a lot about the 80% rule, um, but you have to know when you reach 80%, when do I know enough to make a good decision and act on it? When do I not have enough information I need to find it? And, and where do I get that in order to make those decisions? In a corporate setting, we don't have those kinds of threats. So right off the bat, we have a difference in, in how the brain is able to function simply because we're, we're not physically and, and actually our lives being threatened in these moments. Uh, so that is a big difference. The other thing is that, uh, you know, military is very mission focused, whereas from a corporate perspective, we're often either um, money focused, right? We're trying to sell a product or a process or a capability, or as you noted in the, the nonprofit, maybe we are trying to focus on uh, an agenda that involves helping others. So a little closer to that mission focused space. Um, but that difference in, in corporate funding versus um, mission does also change the way that you take in information, how you process it, and then how you act on it. So the learning does get affected in that space as well. Um, and I would say probably the last piece is individual versus team. In, in a corporate setting, um, we may work as a team, but ultimately we are not all typically getting promoted as a team. <laughs> we are not going to leave this job and go get a new job as a team, not 
sometimes we will, but for the most part, we're not going to, right? So, so we, we want to work together. We also want to self-promote in order to be able to continue on our own personal work journey. In, in military, mission is 100% the focus versus the individual succession. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've written several, bo- several books. Let's talk about the books. We can go in order. Um, first book, Modernizing Learning, Building the Future Learning Ecosystem. Did I get the title all correct? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Something else in there. I've got another sentence in there, but you had mentioned it was the implementation blueprint for connecting learning experiences across time and space. And I went, wow, that is a book I want to read for sure. And it's available on Amazon. I'll just be your little advertisement right now. <laughs> it is. Well, I, I'll, I'll add, to, I mean, it's available on Amazon. You have to pay for the printing, but uh, everyone has already paid for this book because it was commissioned by the U.S. government. So your tax dollars were at work. If you go to, um, yes, if you go to the pub- government publishing office, uh, I think it's gpo.gov, you can actually download it for free. Um, so I always encourage people, you know, already paid for it, go ahead and go get it. Uh, if you would like it bound and printed, then yes, you do have to go through Amazon uh, and you pay a nominal fee to have them print it so that it's it's tangible. Um, but the focus of this book really is to say, you know, every school district, it, it, it gets into um, somewhat recognizing how education works in this country. It's not just about what you learn or how a teacher teaches you, but it's actually the whole system. And so if you're looking at, how do we prepare workers for the future? How do we make sure that our country is able to defend itself and also uh, to be able to be the innovators, uh, not just of the world, but intentionally to help our people? Well, then you have to think at the system level and that requires understanding how do you make sure that um, what you learn when you're little carries you all the way through to adulthood? How do you move? It's, it's great to say, let's do badges and, and credentials. How do we start that credit when you're younger and make sure that it's understood by a business? Does a business recognize that credential? Did it get approved by somebody or did you make it up? We don't know, right? When we have uh, all this information on YouTube, you may be very knowledgeable in something you have no formal education in. I love to say this for moms. There's no degree for being a mom uh, or a dad, right? I should definitely say parents. There's no degree for being a parent, but oh my gosh, can we schedule things? Can we plan things? Can we, we have uh, human development knowledge. We understand sort of cooking. I, I probably am not winning in that <laughs> department, um, but just managing a home and a family and and growing people into adulthood uh, it's it's a huge skill mm-hmm. where do you get credit for that how how do you recognize that when you go into to a workforce setting this kind of a program starts to say i don't care how you learned the information what i care about is that you can demonstrate that skill Mm-hmm. So if you are a hunter and you understand how to plan for the hunt, how to make sure that you have safety uh, in place, that you are looking to make sure that you've covered all your bases with your um, various licenses that you have to have, that you are ready and prepared for uh, if you run into a problem and you get stranded, do you know how to handle all of that? Those life skills and capabilities translate into something for for work and for for other places. But again, No degree is attached to these things. So what we're starting to say in our country is we need to recognize people learn in all kinds of settings in different ways. And it's not just what you learn in school formally. Mm -hmm. It's what you know and are capable of doing as a human that really matters to us. How do we give credit for that? How do we make sure businesses capitalize on that? And how do we make sure that all of that leads to our country continuing to be the leaders in innovation? Mm-hmm. I know that some colleges have given credit for life skills. They actually do recognize that. And that was like, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago when people started doing it. And I don't think it caught on, but it is, you raise a valid point. Um, I think that there's also this place where there's badges that are occurring and we don't actually recognize it. So think about Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, you know, they're starting in you know, five years old, and they have the ability to go up to 17. And by the time in Boy Scouts, pretty sure they do the same thing in Girl Scouts. I was, but I didn't go all the way to the top. But Boy Scouts, 
their end project is they have to take an idea to do something good in the community. It's basically a business plan. They have to put a team together, raise money, and then go implement it. Think about all of those badges that we have earned in scouting. They have value and it does translate just to your point, exactly like, okay, do you know how to sew? Yes. Could you do primitive cooking in the wild? Yes. Because you know, we're kind of used to just picking up our phone and going, oh yeah, Uber, deliver my food. But could you cook it out on a little tin can in the backyard? Maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, so the concept holds, right? What are all these life experiences that we have? How do we determine how to give credit to people for those skills and then translate that into a job? The military faces this very specifically because even those folks who retire, so 20 to 30 years in the military, they have done X number of jobs, which are just amazing to read about. How do they translate to the corporate center? Because now every one of those folks is going to have a, a second job. And the military is recognizing, wait a minute, it's actually difficult to describe how but going out and being in combat translates to I can lead a team in an office. Oh, gosh. You know, they're doing like so much. So let's talk about any type of microaggressions in the workplace and how we should handle that. <laughs> that would be a good place for, or mediator, you know, pick any of those roles. That's really what they do. Yeah. It's, it's just, it, it's challenging for our service members to come out and find positions and companies who understand beyond clearly you have done incredible work. You're intelligent. You're going to pick things up, but the specific skill sets are not as clear to translate unless you are someone who has maybe an engineering degree, but now we're back to the degrees again. And the, the experience and knowledge that our service members have is so substantial and useful in our businesses. We'd like to be able to, to clarify, articulate and demonstrate to businesses how that translation happens. It's exactly like what I was talking about when I said, I have degree, I have skills in psychology research. My, my delta to law research is not that big. No, Same thing. I agree. And, and true for our stay-at-home parents who want to go re-enter into the formal workforce. I say that because they're already in the workforce. They're just doing a wonderful job raising children and, and running families. And now they want to go into a formal paid position. How do we translate what they're able to do and, and what they have learned? Conflict resolution. <laughs> <laughs> the ability to do a hundred things at once, the ability to be sane under extreme stress. I mean, there's so many things that, that happen. And, and even for our parents, uh, um, you know, all of my children are special needs. And so I've spent a, a fair amount of time in, in therapies and in, Okay. You have three children. <laughs> yes. And when you have, when you have children, for example, that have special needs, like I do, you learn so much about medicine and therapy and education and individual education plans. And all, how do you, how do you send them into the world and how do you help them to be successful and understand all of their differences? These knowledge points of, of medicine, of, of special needs, of, of development. Every parent who has special needs kids learns these things. We don't get degrees for it. Nobody gives us credit, but our knowledge is still there. So again, I don't care how you learn or where you learned it. What I care is that you have that information and knowledge. So if that mom who has been raising a child for 18 years wants to enter the workforce and has spent 18 years with doctors and nurses and therapists and whatnot, coming into a position where they are going to work with people who have these needs, it doesn't matter that they don't have a degree in special needs. They have real life experience and how to navigate that. Their ability to relate to the other parents who they may come in contact with is very high. We need a way to recognize that. And I have yet to see somebody put that on their resume. I was the parent of a special needs child and I learned the following skills, but I think we should. <laughs> oh, I agree with you. And I don't think that people recognize that as really the value that it does have because you have to connect the dots because 
I'll use this as the example. Students that are in school, they prepare a report and it took them three months. In the, my business world mind, I'm sitting there going, I don't have three months. I need you to get this done in a week. So how would you get this done in a week? Parents are having to think on the fly in, in crisis situations, as well as being able to be, they're just exhausted, whatever. So I think that that replicates more of what a work experience is like um, for people that are working a job, going to school, raising a family. Those are very, very three separate distinct areas of life that are very hard to juggle. And it demonstrates a, a high level of skill. We'll call it a, definitely a skill. Whereas being able to put your, you know, four term papers together, it's like, really, you had three months to plan this. So like, what was the problem? That is not the same in my mind. I don't know what your thoughts are about that. Sure. Well, I mean, there's just different skills, right? Uh, we, we often used to refer to them as book smarts and street smarts, right? So the ability to ingest information and regurgitate it is not the same as being able to go into an ambiguous situation mm -hmm. and discern what's happening, figure out a solution and execute it. There are plenty of people who have both. There are plenty of people who have one and not the other. All of, you know, both of these ends of the spectrum are, are valuable, but we have not done a good job uh, in informal terms of giving credit and defining street smarts. You know, one of the ones, uh, and I'll show off my my little medal here. This this is my this is my win right here. My <laughs> my finished marathon. Uh, something I never thought I would be able to do. And what I thought was I just ran for a very long time. I was very wrong in that thinking. Very wrong. There is so much to the nutritional science, and and especially being older, are my knees going to hold up? What are all the different kinds of um, food sources? I, I didn't know I had to train my my stomach to be able to handle food in the middle of a thirteen uh, mile uh, pass. I mean, yeah. the things I had to learn, the stamina, the ability to keep my mind active while I'm still running for hours and hours and hours is unbelievable. Not to mention, I had no idea it cost so much to run. It's always very funny when they hold the signs up and say, you paid to do this. It's, this is a fair statement. Um, but again, uh, well, I did get a medal for it, but it doesn't go on my resume too often, but I learned a lot. Yeah. Right? And, and we know, as I like to say, I'm a finisher. I'm a finisher. That's a big statement, right? I finish the marathon. I finish a book. I finish the task. A finisher isn't somebody who has a great idea. It's somebody who takes it all the way to fruition. That is a competency, right? That's an ability to do something, to see how to finish something. Those are the kinds of things we want to give credit for, that we want to understand. That's why we love an Eagle Scout. And Eagle Scout stays with scouts all the way through, does a culminating event and gets it done. Maybe they're slow, maybe not. Maybe they did it as a group. But the one thing we know is that they finish. That's why we love to see Eagle Scout on, on a, a resume in the beginning. Well, we're going to take just a minute to acknowledge our sponsor, Cat5 Studios. The Intern Whisperer is brought to you by Cat5 Studios, who help you create games and videos for your training and marketing needs that are out of this world. Visit Cat5 Studios for more information to learn how Cat5 Studios can help your business. Thank you, Cat5 Studios. And we're back. And I knew we were going to be going into some um, serious time. So we don't have as much time left. Actually, we have like 15 minutes. So second book, you're going to Washington, D.C., September 8th, 2022. For what reason? So I, one of my clients I work with is Association for Talent, Talent Development. So for those of you who've heard the acronym ATD, uh, they not only work with businesses, they also work with the public sector. So government, both national, uh, federal government, as well as state and local. And so their big government conference will be September 8th in Washington, D.C. I will be there. There will be many, many more. We're putting the agenda together right now. Uh, and the focus is looking at how do we make sure that we're developing our, our learning professionals the way that we need to. And, you know, I just don't think a lot of people think about in the public sector for a government perspective, 
that we have to have innovators and thinkers and instructional designers and learning engineers and talent developers and human resource uh, specialists and all of these individuals help make the government run properly and ensure that we have the highest talent available. That's something that I have to believe every American wants, but we often only focus on the politics. We don't think about the people that are doing the work all of the time. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's exciting to be working with a, an organization that is really pushing that envelope and asking those hard questions and looking to say, hey, what do we get from the corporate world that we can move and share with government to ensure that our government workers are, are capitalizing and benefiting from that because that helps the American people. But also, what is government researching and learning that we can share back with the corporate world and say, goodness, did you know that this kind of innovative research is being funded by the government? How do we package that and share that back with our businesses? Mm -hmm. I agree. Love it. I'll see you in Washington. Third book, <laughs> Who the F wants to be a president? I love this when I found this about you and I went, oh my God, this one is on Amazon also. So you know, tell me why. Um, you, and are you running for office? Let's talk about all of those things. Sure. So essentially, you know, the punchline, I think, is is actually similar to to all Americans uh, right now. Uh, for those who are, you know, watching our world and our country, we we've all asked ourselves, what in the world is happening? <laughs> right. Yeah. And so in 2016, I said, well, you know, maybe maybe I should go start asking some of these questions. I mean, why the heck not? Is, is, is a normal, regular American just asking some of these questions? But I particularly have skills in understanding, you know, the human population and also understanding technology as well as design. So I thought, well, let's see if, if I can learn more about this. I got the opportunity to go into government. And in that time frame, we said, well, if we were to really think about how to elevate and evolve our, our nation in the right direction, again, avoiding the political space, what would we do? And we thought the first thing you have to do is, is fix the U.S. education system. We cannot continue to have an assembly line process. That's why we wrote the Modernizing Learning Book was really to, to do that. I was a delegate to NATO and Partnership for Peace and also worked with the Five Eyes, which meant I had access to so many international partners in education. Uh, we look at our Nordic countries and think, goodness, what great things are they doing and how do we capitalize that, bring that to our country as well? This is a multinational effort. Uh, and we also went across all the states. And that's when we started learning goodness. Every state is totally different. How do we make sure that the good things that are happening in Montana are being shared with Nebraska? What's being used in, in Maine is being shared with those folks in California and vice versa. We don't have a process for that. But then we figured out, well, it's not good enough just to make sure that our people are well-educated. We need to make sure that our government is really functional. And that's when we uh, got the opportunity to redesign the executive branch to better serve the American people from an innovation perspective. And through that process, I got to go through all the departments and agencies and figure out how everything worked, where the budget goes, how the money is being spent, how we do or don't <laughs> get those, those things that we're building to our population. That's when I started asking the question, wait a minute, now I know about this international space. Now I know about all these departments and agencies in our government and how we're doing national defense. I found so much happening in the U.S. government that I didn't know about that I, I venture to say most people don't know uh, is happening that I thought, I bet you anything, we have the solutions to the majority of our problems already existing around the country. And so I said, I'm going to leave my job at the Pentagon. I'm going to go find these solutions. And I'm kind of curious, could you run for president? Could you actually do this job? I mean, the job is not supposed to be about raising money. It's not supposed to be about dividing our people to one group or another. It's supposed to be about making sure that our people are living their best life and that our country is safe, sound, and moving forward. So I bought an RV. I grabbed the smartest people I could find. We developed a, a team and we set out to find the best solutions we could. Um, I went to every state. I interviewed people from ambassadors to, to uh, General Mattis and, and people on the streets of all walks of life and backgrounds, experiences, uh, belief systems, both sides of the aisle I talked to uh, frequently. Nobody ever knew which side I was running for because frankly, it didn't matter. We were focused on improving the country not serving a political party. 
Uh, and so then we took all of that information and all those interviews and ideas, solutions, uh, and, and findings that we had, and we put them into this book, who the F wants to be president, because we started to recognize that indeed the solutions exist. Indeed, our people can come together and, and do what we need to do to further the uh, capabilities of our nation. However, in order to become president, you have to deal in a whole lot of garbage <laughs> mm -hmm. and raise a ton of money. Somewhere we have a disconnect. So we talk about how all of those pieces come together in order to actually press forward. Mm. Well, we have time for this next question and it's in the future when we're talking about 2030. So I picked this one, even though we talked about them. So the question was about remote blended on-site flexible work and how do you work now? And how do you, you know, how do you figure out what is that working environment going to be like? You mentioned that you were writing a forward on a new book um, called Leadership Fusion, and it's a collection of recommendations from leaders about inspiring the next generation of work. What is it that you would say? What does your piece of that book say? Sure. So, so my focus is really on how do we evolve, right? We, ha we had, uh, you know, tremendously and absolutely, we have to say uh, that that recognize those that we lost through COVID and, and what, what a terrible situation that has been. At the same time, uh, there are events that occurred that will allow us the opportunity to evolve forward. And one of those is that although it was very hard for all of us to basically be home or masked for two years, what it did for the workforce meant it took away all the old rules, all the old expectations, all the processes that we used to have and has cleaned the slate. Mm -hmm. What are we going to do next? And so what we, what we talk about in this book is how do we think about leadership for the individual and collective simultaneously? How do we think about the new processes that we need to build to capitalize on the identification and, and promotion of creativity and individual experiences, thoughts, backgrounds, ideas, capabilities, et cetera. And then a very important piece that we have traditionally not thought about with work because we think of our workers as giving to the company. We have to think about the motivation, mental health, and life experience. Work is not just about a means to an end anymore. People can find work to make money in most cases. Certainly there are folks who are struggling, but for the majority, we have a, we have a low uh, rate of unemployment. However, people are getting choosy. They want something that talks about or resonates with them as a human and what their aspirations are. So it's no longer just work-life balance, it's work-life synergy. It's, it's recognizing that there is meaning in your work. And so I think um, companies are going to be challenged to ensure that all jobs are recognized, that people are seen as valuable and, and supported in a way that we haven't asked uh, for in the past. And so really, you know, to recap, it's, it's, it's really that how do we become leaders that evolve? How do we look at new processes and give ourselves permission to support creativity and differences? And then how do we make sure that we're motivated and healthy as we're doing our work? Mm. That's a lot. And I hate that I wasn't able to expand on that more. Maybe you'll be able to come back as a guest again. So best mentoring advice that you would like to pass on to our audience? Uh, without a doubt, I say always find your superpower. Every single one of us has something that we're really good at. Um, but the problem is we frequently focus only on the formal education element of it. Did you get A's in math or not? Mm -hmm. That's not what we're looking for. What we're looking for is what's unique about you. My superpower is I see brilliance in others. So why at seven was I able to give that talk? Because I listened to all the other kids and found what their great idea was and put it together to create a full puzzle. My skill set is never recognized in school, but it's invaluable in certain arenas. The question to everyone is, and the challenge is, what is yours? And it's probably something that is not always recognized. It took me probably 40 years to figure out what mine was. So let's hope our young people do better. 
I share that same type of thinking as, you know, what is your superpower? Um, I also use this as an, a way that I hope that inspires as others is a think like an Olympian. What does an Olympian Absolutely. say? Do they say, I think I can, I believe I can, or I know I can. I've never had anybody say anything other than I know I can. I said, there is no doubt. That's what you're telling me that no matter what happens, it will, whatever it is you set your mind to, it will happen. They go, yep. And I went, okay, then make that happen for me <laughs> is what I give them. But, you know, in the sense of how we work together. Okay. How can people find you? What social channels are you on? We're, we're going to be sharing with our listening audience, your LinkedIn. And you also told me your Twitter handle, but you've got a lot of ways that people can connect to you. Sure. Absolutely. So uh, on Twitter and on Instagram, I'm Red Shoes USA. Uh, my, my website for the business is claystrategicdesigns.com, but you can also find me uh, through uh, JJ USA. Um, and that is getting to all of the work that we did going around the country and gathering all those solutions. Okay. Well, really good. And while you were talking, I searched for that link to the PDF so our listeners could have it and download it 416 pages. <laughs> I found it. Yeah. And I, I'm hoping that everybody's going to like it because it looks like a really intriguing book. Honestly, I like the cover for sure. Yep. Anyway, I want to tell you, thank you so much. It's been delightful having you as a guest. It's always, you know, something that I, I look forward to is having you and you can come back anytime you and Walt, it's some of my favorite people. Well, thank you so much. Always a fun time and pleasure to talk with you as well. Okay. Well, I will be talking with you and for our listeners, you now know how to get in, get a hold of JJ. All right. Thank you to our sponsor, Cat5 Studios. Thank you to our production team and video interns, Christian Flowers and Daniel Conti. Music is by Sophie Lloyd, and our sound engineer is Eric Peterson. Please visit Employers for Change at www.e4c.tech to learn how you can create real diversity and inclusive culture while upskilling your people for the future of work. Thank you for listening to The Interim Whisper and follow us on your favorite podcast channels.